0: Hello, and welcome to the Four Color Nerds comic podcast, episode 78, the Testosterone Edition. I'm Ryan, and I'm joined by one other nerd, Matt. Hello. The... Women folk are off on assignment at the ID10 Festival. We'll hear back from them soon, but for now, they're not available for this one. So together, it's up to us to take on this week's comics. Every week, we read a variety of comics and gather here to discuss them. This is a review show, so there will be spoilers. If you don't want to hear spoilers, why are you listening to this show? But take a break now and go (laughs) read your week's books, then come on back. Each week, one of us picks their favorite book, and that's our pick of the week. This week... I Am That Nerd. This week, it was kind of a hard choice. There were basically three books that were neck and neck. But in the end, I think this one was still head and shoulders above the rest. It's fantastic. And that is Batman number 25. Our companion song is Make Him Laugh by Donald O'Connor. That's from Singing in the Rain from 1952. I chose this because Batman, this one is all kind of about the inability to laugh. And how that plays out in this, I think it's really central to the idea. And also, if you've never seen this little bit of film history, go on YouTube, type in, make em laugh, and watch it. It's one of the greatest bits of physical comedy and just sheer physical performance you will probably ever see. And remember, this was all done with almost no special effects. So let's take a listen.' Make em laugh. Make 'em laugh, don't you know? Everyone wants to laugh. Ah, ah. My dad said be an actor, my son, but be a comical one. They'll be standing in lines for those old honky tonk monkey shines. Or you could study Shakespeare and be quite elite, and you could charm the critics and have nothing to eat. Just slip on a banana peel, the world's at your feet. Make 'em laugh, make 'em laugh, make 'em laugh. So we have Batman number 25 from DC Comics, War of Jokes and Riddles, written by Tom King. Pencils and Inks by Mikhail Janin. Colors by June Chung. This was fantastic. <laughs> you get Tom King getting his hands on two major pieces of the Batverse and applying his ability to understand what makes people tick and what is essential to them and being able to give you that in this story. And in this story, it's he bookends it kind of Bruce and Selina in bed after their proposal. And he says that he needs to tell her what he's done. Now, if she's going to marry, she needs to know everything about him. So he tells her about the War of Jokes and Riddles which you get the Joker and you get the Riddler and I want to talk for a second about the Riddler here because the Riddler he's a major Batman villain but I cannot say that I've ever really been terrified of the Riddler and what he can do before and here you really get to see how dangerous he is start with the Joker so the Joker is having a problem which is nothing seems funny to him which you might think might be a solution to the Joker but in fact this is a deeply disturbing thing to him, that nothing is funny. So he's trying to find things that are funny. And the Joker's sense of humor is extremely, extremely dark, we can say. So he is having people tell him jokes, and then shooting them when he doesn't find it funny. He's causing car accidents, because wouldn't it be funny if, after everything he's been through, he died in some senseless car accident? He's doing everything he can to make things funny. And at the end of all these attempts, he's like, huh, that's not funny, and then he shoots someone. So he is on this sort of terrorism murder spree to make a joke but nothing is funny to him which is a big problem and in order to solve all this they go to the Riddler to kind of look at all the clues and figure out what it is he's going to do next and the Riddler at first really doesn't necessarily want to help them and then they try the old well I guess the only Batman is smart enough to figure this one out and that's when the Riddler attacks the person and leaps out and like slashes their throat and stabs them I think they say was it 26 times one for each letter of the alphabet because he does have something to say, which is awesome. There's a scene in here where he's going to escape from the prison and this is one of the most chilling scenes I've seen in comics, both visually and with what is actually happening. So, he's walking out of the interrogation room and there's a whole hallway full of Gotham SWAT. And they are telling him to stop or they're going to shoot, and then he starts saying things, and he's saying names. So, he's giving the full names of female names, and then the guards start realizing he's saying the names of their children, which is fucking terrifying.
1: Seriously? I was like, oh, fuck.
0: And you find (laughs) out there was this guard that he's been helping bet on football, like helping him understand the odds and all of that. And he hasn't really asked for anything. He's just asked for little stories about his family and the other guards. And like, oh, do they have children also? And you find out what this is for. So there's this really awesome scene where it's almost like the parting of the Red Sea where he walks down the hallway and all the police officers recoil back from him and press themselves against the wall as he walks out. It's fantastic. It is a really, really horrifying scene and the way that they draw it is amazing. The Riddler in here, I think they've really keyed into almost like a Hannibal Lecter vibe with him, in that he's an exceptionally dangerous psychopath, you know, very, very brilliant, and he helps the police, and he was fine helping the police being locked up in the prison. The prison means nothing to him, because it's his mind that's his most important thing, so where his body is, he doesn't really care, and they were bringing him things that were interesting for him to look at, so he was fine chilling in Arkham Asylum, but now he's seen something that he knows he needs to go out into the world for. He's seen what the Joker is doing and he understands why the Joker is doing it. He's been able to piece all the riddle together and he knows that the Joker needs to find a way to laugh again and he's worried that he's going to try and kill the Batman. This is the crux of the war of jokes and riddles and the Riddler is trying to figure out Batman. He's trying to solve the riddle of the Batman which he cannot do. So if the Joker kills him the Riddler can't solve the riddle and if the Riddler keeps Batman alive long enough figured out the Joker can't kill him. So they're in conflict here. So there's this awesome scene where they meet and I really love this two-page splash they have where you get them on opposite sides of the room and you get both a joke and a riddle in one scene, which is awesome the way they do it because it's a knock-knock joke, which is both a joke and a riddle. So you get the knock-knock from the Riddler and then the Joker saying, who's there? And there's this awesome bat signal in the middle of the panel that kind of like divides the scene. It's also just a stunning piece of artwork. So the Riddler is proposing to the Joker that they join forces together and that they can both, that once the Riddler solves the mystery of the Batman, then the Joker can kill him and they can solve both of their problems at the same time if they combine together and the Joker's listening and he's doing that kind of like arch villain where you steeple your fingers and you're listening and he says oh yeah we could do that and then he pulls out a gun and puts it in the Riddler's stomach and pulls the trigger he's like or maybe this would be funny <laughs> and he leaves Riddler lying in this pool of blood dying bleeding out and of course he's like "Ah, oh, that wasn't funny and he walks out and then you get Batman coming in with one of those awesome I come through the windows and glass explodes everywhere panels where he comes in and he finds the Riddler and you get to hear this is where Batman's kind of narration comes in and why he explains that he didn't stay with the Riddler and clearly he regrets this because something really bad has happened because of it and what he says is no one survives a gunshot wound like that and that he was already dead he basically just didn't know it yet but there were people who were still alive that the Joker was going to go after so he made the decision to leave the Riddler there and go after the Joker but of course the Riddler manages to survive this and then you get kind of this page that shows you what's going to happen So as these two go to war, all of the Bat-villains start lining up. You know, some of them are going to work with the Joker, some of them are going to work with the Riddler, and they're going to tear Gotham apart. And all of this takes place far in the past with Batman. This is like a year one story, basically.
1: I'd say year three.
0: Definitely before the current art of what's happened. This is Batman's past he's relating. So he's probably a little less experienced, and maybe he's going to learn some lessons here. But goddamn, this one is spectacular. Tom King is so good. We've seen it with Batman. Batman of getting to the heart of the character and he gets to the heart of each of these characters and puts them together in very interesting ways. I loved it. What'd you think of it?
1: It was fucking divine and visceral. It was just so fucking good. I love this book. The art was perfect. The writing was perfect. I've never seen Riddler look like that before. He kind of looks like an Irish dock worker. I mean, all red hair and freaking green outfit. And his shirt's open and he's fucking huge. Like, he's <laughs> been working out. And he didn't skip leg day even. Fucking look in both of their eyes is just insanity. And that last spread where it's got all the villains on it, I'm like, I can't wait for this story. I want this in a trade paperback so I can read it all right now. Yeah. Please. <laughs> and I love that they're putting it into the past because there's shit going on right now for Batman and the rest of the DC universe that they can't fucking deal with but they take this story and they put it back here and they don't have to worry about the you metal. know the wedding or the fiance or metal or whatever crazy shit rebirth or anything else that's happening right there because it's back there but with rebirth we're like okay we put back the old DC universe so you can go you got more than five years to play with and they're like okay well I'm gonna go do this while well, you guys do all your other crazy shit use Batman however this is back here right and it's just oh it's so
0: fucking good this is essentially a standalone Batman story Barely in it. <laughs> <laughs> He's in the first page and the last page. It's pretty much it. <laughs> yep. This is really a Joker story and a Riddler story. And they are both expressed here in their fullest and truest depths of madness and insanity and evil. And it's awesome. You really need to see it. Oh, it's
1: so good. This is a cornerstone book for Batman. This is one of those books you need to read as a Batman fan.
0: Like The Long Halloween or Nightfall or... Hush.
1: The Ra's al Ghul stuff from the 70s. Dark Knight. Dark Knight Returns. Yeah, you have to read this book. I'm so excited for this storyline.
0: Me too. It's either a six or eight part miniseries, so we're going to get a lot of this. And I think there's going to be enough room to explore what happens. And I really want to see why each villain goes where they go. Because I think Tom King is so good at giving us the heart of this. He can take characters that may not be worthy of their own arc or issue and give us a couple pages like, why does the ventriloquist go with one person? You'll see, what does Solomon Grundy do? You'll see insights into characters that I think he can do in a short period of time. Very well. You get like
1: Deathstroke and Deadshot going at each other. What's going to happen here?
0: (laughs) It looks amazing. I'm so excited for this one.
1: Batman's barely in it. It felt kind of like Gotham because it was all the insanity of that city, the fucking crazy bad people in it, and then Batman's there a little bit. (laughs) That's what makes this city such a fucking perfect place. And any story that comes out of here that's just this intricately well put together is just so
0: good. And the way that they draw the Joker being so unhappy, even when the Joker is on his murder sprees, he seems to be enjoying himself, let's say. And here, he is not having a good time.
1: I do enjoy it when they draw Joker not smiling because a lot of people, they'll do the Joker where he's got his rictus smile and he can't not smile. But I like to think of it more that He's intentionally laughing and smiling when he's doing that, and those moments where you see him where he's frowning and stuff, it makes it even more creepy when he's insane laughing.
0: I will give this five jokes.
1: And I will give it five riddles.
0: So, on to what I almost picked as my pick, because this one (laughs) is a breath of fresh air and hilarious.
1: It's so good. (laughs) I love this so much. The next book we have up is Shirtless Bear Fighter number one, written by Jody LeHupe and Sebastian Geimer, because we love picking people <laughs> whose names we can't pronounce. Pencils and Inks by Nil Vendrell and Colors by Mike Spicer. Oh my God, what can I say about this book? <laughs>
0: That's a whole bunch of people I've never heard of that produce something amazing. It's so good. It's just like complete left field,
1: which, you know, Image, by the way, this is an Image book. Image has a way of doing that, of just coming up with just books. So you're like, no, nobody ever published that. And you read it and you're like, oh, thank God you published this.
0: This is so much fun. I think the closest parallel I can think of is maybe Robot Chicken or Adult Swim type shows. Or if you've read Axe Cop, I think those are similar. But this is still a little more grounded than Axe Cop.
1: It's so earthy and grounded but so just insane.
0: It's ridiculous insanity.
1: This would be Joker's pick of the week. <laughs> the crux of the story is that you have a giant man-hungry bear tearing loose just in Major City, which is the name of the Major City. <laughs> that is kind of the focus of the town. So the FBI goes after this expert in the field of fighting bears.
0: <laughs> I love that homage throwback to like the 80s movies where you have to go find the old commando who's dealt with this before living in the cabin And he's like, I'm told for this shit. I don't want any more of this. And you
1: got the one guy who knows him, and he's like, I know a guy. (laughs) (laughs) And everybody else is like, I don't think we're going to do this, Sarge. It's not going to work. Agent Burke is looks like what is his name? Is it or Not crazy. I hate Jews guy.
0: He looks like from Lethal Weapon.
1: He looks like the other guy from Lethal Weapon, which is great because he's going after. I can't think of the dude. Braveheart.
0: I can't think. <laughs> of Mel Gibson. Name.
1: He's going after Mel Gibson's character, but Mel Gibson's character has got this massive manly beard that I will never be able to grow, and he's just stark <laughs> raving naked. <laughs>
0: I love when they show his kind of origin story and they show him as a baby and he still (laughs) has the full beard.
1: beard. Uh. And flapjacks, not pancakes. Flapjacks.
0: Flapjacks. (laughs) It's hard to give a review of this without just busting up laughing at things. Impossible. They call it shirtless bear fighter. It really should be pantsless bear fighter. <laughs> it's naked bear fighter. I love the pixelation they do for him. But yes,
1: it's, it's just like, oh wait, we got to make this sure this is okay for the kiddies.
0: Well, and it's funny because the pixelated dong that they have is huge. It's got this realistic, almost like physics thing going on. So yes. as he's fighting, it's moving around. <laughs> it's like... really funny. And then every time he turns to talk to them, all the female. <laughs> Agents, they're all like, ah, oh, they all like recoil back <laughs> in shock. It's so good, it's so so funny. I can't, it's so good. Just like Batman has everything is the bat cave and the bat plane or whatever, everything he has is the bear house. the bear plane is all made out of bear skins, the description of him is sometimes God makes a mistake, makes a man more than a man. Yeah,
1: too much of a man. Oh. Sometimes God makes a mistake, makes man too much of a man.
0: If you like puns, this is the book for you. Oh my God. So many bear jokes in here.
1: This is the comic that we need and we deserve.
0: (laughs) Someone should have just given this comic to the Joker and cut that war off at the pass. Here, this
1: will make you laugh.
0: (laughs) That bear's rubbing his ass on America. Yes. It's so
1: good. And then he hits the bear, and then pop! A second one pops out, and you find out utter betrayal. I mean, this is like Shakespearean in this book. There's a great hero. He doesn't want to be the hero, but he rises to the challenge. And you find out just the utterness of betrayal of his brother at the end is the one who's giving society up to madness. To the person at the beginning that Bearfighter helped he fought back against the people and chose the bears and then the bears betrayed him which is part of why he lives out in the woods and dedicated his life to fighting bears
0: you will laugh your ass off i guarantee it this
1: is another book where i can't wait for the next issue where we have the Me hillbilly too. warlock <laughs> i'm sure rory is gonna love that <laughs>
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah. This is really something you need to see for yourself because as hilarious and funny and pun-filled as it is, it's still a very interesting and compelling story also. It's not just ridiculous sight gags on top of each other. There's an actual plot line that's kind of interesting.
1: This literally was almost the pick of the week. Almost. I mean, I didn't have any choice of it over it myself, but if it was my week, it would have been the pick of the week until I read Batman, and then I was just blown away by Batman, but oh, my God.
0: I was in the same boat. So what'd you end up rating this thing?
1: This is just, just... under Batman. So it's 4.999 repeating. (laughs) Bears wiping their ass on America.
0: I will give this four and a half we don't negotiate with bearerists now that we've had that little palette cleanser of humor it's time to go back over to DC for Superman number 25 from DC Comics Black Dawn Chapter 6 Fade the Black written by Peter J. Tomasi and Patrick Gleason, pencils by Doug Menke and Patrick Gleason. I can take a breath here because it's a long one inks by Jamie Mendoza, Mick Gray Joel Prado, Ray McCarthy Scott Hanna and Matt Santorelli colors by Will Quintana and John Calise so this is the conclusion to Manchester Black trying to get John onto his side. This book is really good because it takes you the depths of despair and darkness in the superhuman community and with Superman and then it also takes you into very feel-good, classic full-of-light things at the end. It takes you through the full arc here. It's basically John fighting Manchester Black and the, not Justice League exactly, but the people that Superman <laughs> has assembled. So it's Superman, Batman, Rock. Robin, the Frankensteins that are there. why not? Why not? Well, they they were there investigating Dead Man's stuff. And you get some really awesome fight scenes. And you get to see John going pretty much full out against people. And you actually get a line where Batman's like, you need to get your son in line because he's wrecking shop here. And Superman's like, I know this is your worst nightmare. And you get these moments where they're fighting and they're going full out, super punching each other. And I really like the fight scene because it's kind of creative in the way they do things. I like when Manchester Black is fighting the Frankenstein people. People, and he telekinetically pulls the stitching that's holding them together to like cause them to collapse onto the ground. And you get to see John freezing people with his ice breath. It's a really cool fight. It's not just punching, people are actually using their powers in kind of creative ways. Manchester Black has this psychic link with John that he's kind of using to manipulate him and control him. And you find out I felt like this was kind of a walk back a little bit. The Lois Lane did not get her legs cut off, that was just an illusion that Manchester Black created to drive John to despair. Which, given what I know about Manchester Black, why the fuck would he not cut off Lois Lane's legs? (laughs) You know, there's no reason why he wouldn't have actually done that. So I think that's a little bit of a cop out because you can't have that happen to her and not affect Superman for a long, long time. They realize that John, the link that he has with Manchester Black, that telepathic link, goes both ways. And Batman saw that when John is fighting, his body language, he's still fighting on the inside. Like his heart isn't completely won over. And they convinced John to create this telepathic feedback loop to Manchester Black and mind blast him into a coma. And you get these kind of Superman reconciliation with all the aliens that were with Manchester Black that they need to rebuild the land that they destroyed. And Superman doesn't trust them, but trust has to start somewhere. So you get Superman shaking the person's hand and reaching across the divide, showing kind of the goodness of Superman. And then there's these kind of awesome scenes where you get John flying twice in this issue. And the first one they say is the realm of nightmares where Superboy and Superman go flying up into the air and are fighting each other. And you get narration from Superman where he's like, John, I always dreamed of the day I would see you fly. But seeing you fly like this is is nightmares because Manchester Black had unlocked his full potential. So that's the dark part of John flying. And then later, he and that little girl who's an alien, they're back up in the tree hanging out with each other. And when they hold hands, John is able to access more of his powers. So you get this really bright and airy, full of hope picture of them flying up in the air. It's really cool. I really enjoyed this. I felt like it ran the full spectrum of emotion, showed you how terrifying the super people can be when they go full out, and then also showed you the goodness of Superman and the triumph. And you also get a really hilarious possessed cow tipping scene at the end. (laughs) So, turns out Manchester Black, when his mind got assaulted, he was able to project his consciousness into another nearby creature, which is a cow. (laughs)
1: They actually showed it. I went back and I looked at the scene when he's blasting out of his body. You just see him go through one cow and you see the cow go moo
0: <laughs> so you get this children of the corn image of all these like little orphan kids who are all talking like with Manchester black's accent and they're giving a cigarette to this cow <laughs> sorry it's, it's really funny and then at the end they kind of throw off his psychic impression they're like this is dumb let's tip over the cow yep <laughs> and they tip the cow over it's like yes.
1: moo moo
0: it was a really good issue you got to see them i think address the darkness for it and then just as every time superman fights the elite you get the answer that superman Man's wholesome goodness is stronger than Manchester Black's dark cynicism
1: the light of hope inside Superman is stronger than the darkness that's inside Manchester Black which is kind of the point of having Manchester Black show up I mean he's always been there to fuck with Superman Yeah. I think it's for Superman the Elite animated movie yes you can find the ending on YouTube and it's just the clip of that last 7-10 minutes Superman's true power is how you look it up on YouTube and it's just wicked <laughs> it's so good this book I liked it a lot so
0: I think in the end I think I will give this four and a half moo
1: (laughs) I will give it four and a half trees regrowing in the backyard I have to wonder if those aliens are the new Cadmus project the town is called Hamilton like Professor Hamilton
0: could be on to Wildstorm
1: The Wildstorm number five written by Warren Ellis pencils and inks by John Davis Hunt colors by Stephen Bacoletto The Wildstorm is a reintroduction of Wildstorm Comics Universe which started out as an image book and honestly was super well written back in the day. They got really good kind of towards the end when the authorities started coming out. Stormwatch got different creative staff. Wildstorm was Jim Lee's comic line at Image. So Image had this weird universe that it was kind of like a shared universe between the different creators that went to form Image originally back in like 93. Image was a bunch of little imprints that kind of crossed the lines. Well Jim Lee's was the Wildstorm comics and it started with Wildcats and then Stormwatch came on there. I mean, that's where Wildstorm comes from. It's the Wild from Wildcats and the Storm from Stormwatch. So the Wildstorm universe came to kind of an end. They had an apocalypse. And then when the New 52 rebooted, they kind of folded the Wildstorm books into DC. So some of it showed up, like Grifter showed up in some DC books. So when Rebirth happened, it gave Wildstorm rebirth Warren Ellis, who was one of the creators that was doing that. Warren Ellis has a few things under his belt that are just classics like Planetary, which is in my top five books of all time.
0: I have planetary action figures. Yeah. It's pretty good.
1: I've got Elijah. If you like comic books or pop culture, you have to go read the Planetary. Just go get the trades, read them today. The Wildstorm is Warren Ellis rebooting the Wildstorm universe with a little more modernization and John Davis Hunt doing the art. I know everybody kind of got a little perturbed because he left the clean room for this book, but the Daemonites, for instance, are these, like, demon creatures from the Wildcats books, and he draws them like the demons from the clean room in this. And I was like, oh! It was really interesting. This is it's a mini-series, but it's a long mini-series. And this is only book five, and they're slowly kind of bringing back those facets of the Wildstorm universe. And in this one, you've got Zealot shows up, and she's this badass Wonder Woman character. And She's literally supposed to be Wonder Woman, but what if Wonder Woman had been on Earth and wandering around and been a mercenary for thousands of years, and, you know, was an alien. So, it's her trying to figure out what the hell's going on. I think she's actually working for one of the the intelligence groups and she's trying to figure out and track it down she's a mercenary so she's figuring out what the hell's going on here so you've got IO which is International Operations they're from the old series and they've never been really all that good but in this it really makes it seem like nobody's good so we see Voodoo show up here in a couple of like just cut scenes Michael the guy who is throughout the book he's got the brain tumor he's he's one of the Wildstorm characters he's an assassin kind of like a Punisher character hired to do special jobs but he doesn't like it. It's just the continuation of that Wildstorm reboot and I know you had a comment about this that nothing is happening but the problem is it's kind of like the DC movies it's happening but it's taking really fucking long time to happen. It's moving a bit too slow. I want it to hurry up but I also don't want it to end. It's only got a 24-25 issue run so I know when it's over I don't have Wildstorm again anymore unless I go back and read old books. So I'm hoping that this is just like the kickoff to another like a new imprint for DC. This is not a book for just anybody. This is for fans of the previous universe. The whole thing is a bunch of kind of references to existing material that you really need to read. This is fan service. I really liked it. It gave me what I was looking for in this book. I thought the art is John Davis Hunt and the writing is Warren Ellis. They're two just fantastic people that need to do more stuff together because John Davis Hunt is fucked up in the head with his art but he's so good at it. I'm going to give it four 0.25 exploding into the bleed. Doctor Strange, number 22, Marvel Comics, written by Dennis Hopeless. An art by Nico henry I think so. I don't know how it's said, but again, that's par for the course for us. So this is happening during the Secret Empire mega story that taking up some of the Marvel universe while other stories like the Spider-Man book are happening at the same time, but not actually having Manhattan taken over by a dark universe.
0: It's a company spanning event that doesn't touch the entire company.
1: Yeah, it's... Always irritates the fuck out of me. I understand sometimes why they do it, but... eh. New York has... It's inside... Cloak from Cloak and Dagger's Cloak. And there's just fucking other-dimensional Cthulian monsters fucking everywhere, just, just ripping up and completely owning the city and stopping everything from happening. Of course, you have some weird alter-dimensional stuff happening in Magic. You're going to have Sorcerer Supreme himself trying to figure it all out, because he's also stuck inside of it. We see him here hanging out with Spider-Woman. I've missed a couple issues here, so I don't know how he's with Spider-Woman and... Ben Yurik.
0: Okay, so when the dark hole Dimension took place, they realized it was all magical, so they went to go break into the Sanctum Santorum with Spider-Woman, Daredevil, and Ben Yurik. They brought Ben Yurik along because his degree is in, like, English literature, and they're like, we're gonna find a bunch of books and we're not super smart, we're super punchy, you know? <laughs> we gotta use what we got. We don't have a whole bunch of resources to pull from. And Ben Yurik is friends with Spider-Woman, so they went there. Baron Mordo controls the Sanctum Santorum now. He captured Daredevil. They escaped They were fighting this big monster thing and Kingpin drove his car off a bridge. His like super armored indestructible car through the thing's skull. And that's kind of where this picks up.
1: They're doing kind of like a devil's deal with Kingpin because he's able to travel safely. (laughs) Apparently made some deals with the devil himself. So his tower is pristine while the rest of the city is just swarmed by something that looks like it came out of a BPRD book. Mm -hmm. There's just these gigantically monstrous entities just fucking covering everything and just going crazy and destroying shit. Cut over to Mordo talking to his masters, who are the the heads of HYDRA. You've got fucking Captain America.
0: I love that they do not like Baron Mordo, that they think he's a pretentious tool that they can't trust.
1: And he is. I do like the way they've stylized Mordo here is that he's kind of like the... I'm a seventh-level wizard kind of mage, right? Like, he's got power. You can't deny that he's got power, but he's, like, the arrogant, I've spent all this time learning magic kind of thing, but I'm still just kind of a tool. Almost a bit of a joke on the old Mordo, which is okay because the current Strange isn't taking the comic. It used to be, like, super serious, like, ooh, dark magic and shit, and now it's just, like, some dudes who happen to, that's their job, (laughs) and Mordo's just happens to be, I want to rule the world with my magic. Yeah. So he's very comfortable with his talking and he's using some modern technology. Almost seems like the master from Ryan's favorite show, Doctor Who. Mmm. <laughs> So he puts this little viewer down that is watching Dr. Strange, Kingpin, Spider-Woman, and Yurik run through the city. And they're trying to get to a storehouse of magic tools. They weren't really clear towards the beginning of the book. But towards the end of it, you find out when they actually get there, they get to this wall. And the funniest fucking thing, and I don't think anybody probably got it, the person who they're going to see is Madame Mim. Do you remember who Madame Mim is? No. Do you remember the sword and the stone? Yes. Do you remember the witch that Merlin fights? Yes. That's her. (laughs) All right. The witch that he does the wizard battle with is the person who has the storehouse of magical power stuff there. Right. That keeps turning into different shapes. That's that same character. So I'm like, oh, they're using some Disney cred (laughs) because that's a (laughs) Disney movie. And they like literally take a Disney character and put it into here. But it's like a Disney warlock. They're using it here. You find out that this storehouse of magical tools is the fucking darkest, dirtiest magic storehouse ever. And Doctor Strange is like, whoa, guys, don't fucking touch anything anything. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Right, because he brings out the point. Magic has a price. We're not prepared to pay the price that it would take to get this stuff. He's
1: like, uh, I don't even know if I want to do this. But Kingpin's like, fuck it. We're
0: doing it live. (laughs) Pretty much.
1: And he he grabs his skull, blasts one of the mindless ones away. And the mindless are pretty fucking hard to hurt. But he blasts this thing into oblivion with this evil dark skull. And he's like, yeah, I'm willing to pay the price. (laughs) Because he
0: says, I have deep pockets. I can pay the price.
1: (laughs) Yep. I think he's kind of already over that way. So he's like, meh. What more is it going to do to me? So it looks like the Kingpin's going to be using some of the dark magic. Because you see, like, the red energy that's coming out of the skull is coming out of his eyes. And that's where we leave off at the end with this really cool cutscene, I'm hoping, from the next issue. Where Kingpin's holding, like, a fucking Harry Potter wand. And Doctor Strange has a fucking machine gun.
0: Yeah, it almost reminded me of the Kingpin Punisher type covers, you know?
1: Yes. Like, back-to-back, we're gonna fuck some shit up.
0: I did also really like the scene where they're in the golf cart going through the tunnels, and Kingpin's trying to explain that he's turned over a new leaf, and he's not so bad. And Ben Yurk is like, he's a supervillain. He's a murderer, you know? He's listing all these things. And he just
1: stops the car. He's like, those are accusations.
0: I allow you to print these lies in your little rag because no one reads them, but you're about to find out what happens when you say these things to my face.
1: Yep. One thing I did love is at some point in time, Kingpin has watched Lord of the Rings or read them (laughs) because he's like, she
0: went full (laughs) Gandalf. Well, I love, and then Spider-Woman gets the reference wrong, right? She's like, did you just make a Star Wars reference? (laughs) We're going to have to have a talk. (laughs) It's pretty funny. I've had a chance to talk with some of the other nerds about the transition from Jason Aaron and Bacalo onto this new team with Dennis Hopeless and Nico Henrichan. I think it's a pretty good transition. I think they are holding their own here. I think this Doctor Strange is still spectacular. What do you think about that?
1: I really like this Doctor Strange. I thought it was really good. I was worried when Bacallo left because that's weird for me because I don't really like Bacallo's art, but I thought it worked fucking perfectly for Doctor Strange. But I think this guy's art is also still working perfectly for this book. And the writing, Dennis does a really good job of writing this. I like the humor that he brings to the character. I don't like it when things are taken seriously. I don't take pretty much anything seriously. I always joke even when bad shit's going on, much to the dismay of everyone around me. And I love it when you see him grin into the face of despair.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I also like that he's continuing Spider-Woman, that Spider-Woman got canceled. She's now part of the Doctor Strange universe.
1: She's kind of like the type of person he would gather around him to form the Defenders. Right. So it's kind of like a Marvel team up Defender-y kind of thing. I hope that they
0: kind of keep that up. I think they're a good team. So what you end up giving this thing? I
1: thought it was really good. I liked it more than I liked Peter Parker. Maybe about the same as I liked Wildstorm.
0: I think this was better.
1: I think it pales in comparison to the first three. <laughs> I'm going to give it three and a half.
0: Don't touch that! <laughs> I will give it four. She went full Gandalf. Oh, still in the Marvel Universe, we have Weapons of Mutant Destruction number one for Marvel Comics, written by Greg Pak. This is inks by Mahmoud Asrar. Colors by Nolan Woodard. So this is a book. <laughs> so this is a
1: comic. It's sequentially art.
0: The basic plot line is they've been gathering together this new Weapon X project, and now the team that Old Man Logan has, of Old Man Logan, and Domino, and Sabre. Tooth and Lady Deathstrike and Hulk are going to investigate what's going on and figure these things out. So they're doing some research where the Hulk is Amadeus is using his actual intellect which I like there's a line in there where they're like this kid's not a killer what's he doing with us and they're like are you a super genius and then there's this panel where about everybody's head it says not a super genius
1: (laughs) not a super genius not a super genius not a super genius
0: (laughs) so old man Logan's kind of like so then sit the fuck down and shut up and let the kid work so Amadeus figures out that the fluid they need for it they need to make so much of it and it's really rare ingredients and hard to find so he tracks down where that could come from and where all the raw materials are to make it so they're going off to investigate that they fight some cat robots which was kind of interesting to see them fighting house cats that are fucking them up
1: those are creepy
0: <laughs> there is a part where they split off into different teams i like the part where old man logan because he puts lady death strike and amadeus cho together and lady death strike is like why are you sticking me with the kid and he's like well the kid's not a killer so when it comes time to do what needs to be done i need someone there who will do it and then Cho's like why are you sticking me with this psychopath? And he's like, well, she's very dangerous. She'll always want to go to the extreme solution. and I need someone there to pull her back. So I thought that was kind of interesting. And then there's a part where they go to investigate this person who's been kidnapped through the weapon X project and you find his horse, horrible family and this part of the book to me it rings really true like I feel like Greg Pak is maybe writing about some things he's experienced in his life these scenes are very hurtful there's a bunch of ignorant racists that are incredibly abusive he don't have no friends like you because both Lady Deathstrike and Show, they're both Asian right so they knock on the door and they're trying to get inside and they say oh we're his friends and the mother says he doesn't have any friends like you and they're like was that racist and then when they get inside and you actually see the family the family's fucking horrible the mother when she gets mad at the children she puts their cats in sacks and drowns them in front of them and just like slams against the wall to kill them. You don't really see what she does because it's a Marvel book, not like an image book. But she does something really horrible and videotapes it. So that's kind of the people that they're yeah. dealing with.
1: Here. there's the text like, you got my weed? No, I don't got your weed. Stop lying, B."
0: From the mom to the son. Yeah, <laughs> nice family. <laughs> and then there was actually a part I liked where the Weapon X Project striker, who's gathering all of these recruits, he wants them all to be willing sacrifices to be kind of these perfect soldiers that are willing to sacrifice this and the weapon x project just wants people you get to see why he thinks he's right that he yes he is a villain and he's horrible but he really does believe in what he's doing that he's not willing to just kidnap people off the street and turn them into test subjects that he wants volunteers that he really is committed to this ideal
1: he wants holy soldiers
0: so i thought those parts were interesting but overall this is really just setting up the books that are going to happen i felt like it's serviceable and it has a few bright moments but it's not really anything special.
1: it's not the worst book i've ever read in my life but it's probably the least favorite of my books of this week it wasn't bad it just wasn't as good as either of the two books that are kind of coming together in it right it's a setup book it gives you some behind the scenes stuff it's got some moving moments Shows the issues that are kind of leading up to there and then striker a couple of the things that i thought that this week and marvel's kind of been pointed out as doing that over the last few months like with the secret empire where they're kind of trying to They've always done this, they're mirroring Mm -hmm. reality. I was thinking during the whole Kingpin, I'm like, I wonder what would happen if Kingpin ran for president here you've got like kind of middle America uber religious evangelicals and like the extremes that they will fucking go to like the militias and whatnot right. it just kind of seems like that's what Striker is and Striker's historically been a, like a fucking hate mutants kind of thing but it's bringing it in line with the type of people he would pull into that and do these things too to make his holy army it just shows how they're kind of our Taliban or our ISIS yeah I
0: would agree and I think really what this comes down to is if you've been reading Totally Awesome Hulk and Weapon X there's no reason to read Weapons of Mutant Destruction because it really summarizes what's happened in those books. Yep, and it's going to go back into those books. Kind of just like a marker in time that, hey, there's an event happening here. Read the following books. So I would give this three where's my weed (laughs)
1: i'll give it three pizzas
0: i finish this out with invincible iron man
1: all right invincible iron man number eight by marvel comics written by brian michael bendis pencils and inks by stefano stefano caselli colors by mart gracia it seems like briri's entire series is kind of like a coming of age story because it keeps kind of cycling back around to that whole her history and bringing her forward and why she's doing what she's doing what she's at every book seems to be about that that i pick up of hers but this one is literally flashbacks back to when she's a child showing that she always wanted to literally be what people thought she couldn't be.
0: I think that scene is so clever and well written. The intro scene.
1: It's like, could you tell me I'll never be an astronaut? And the teacher's like, sorry, I already went through this and I already helped make it so that you could understand that you could be anything you want to be. Could you maybe be the person
0: that I hate? (laughs) Well, I love it because she's like, she stands up and she's like, I'm going to be an astronaut, just like and you know, she holds up the picture of the first African-American woman to be an astronaut. And the teacher's like, good for you. And she's like, what are you talking about You're supposed to tell me to be a teacher or a nurse. And she's like, why would I ever say that to you? <laughs> would
1: I do that? <laughs> oh, fine. You're never going to be Tony Stark. And she's like, fuck you. I'm totally going to be Tony Stark. Except for that weird facial hair. <laughs>
0: Uh, it's really cute. It's really insightful and cute and a good little section there.
1: And it's a really good segue, too, because then it leads into her talking to pseudo-Tony Stark, the AI in her system. Instead of having Jarvis, she's got Tony in the suit, and then she's talking to him about what you'd think Tony Stark would be talking about because he's just like, hey, you ever see Freaks and Geeks? <laughs> and she's like, what the fuck are you talking about? I've been trying to do this my entire life. And he's like, you should calm down and chill. And she's like, you have time for that? And he's like, oh, yeah, I just have no time with the billion petaflops of that I could do every second. (laughs) You should really watch it. And she's like, no, I don't think so.
0: Although dear readers, if you haven't seen Freaks and Geeks, you really should. It is pretty great. Listen to Tony Stark. I haven't actually watched it myself. Oh my God. It's amazing. I'm team Stark on this one.
1: A lack of time. It's actually, oh my God, I have to take Riri's thing here. I'm like, I don't have time for this. I have things to do.
0: (laughs) It's only one season.
1: Well, I have a season, half a season left of Gotham. I've got fucking Preacher just started back up again. There's so much to watch nowadays. I know, I'll put it on my goddamn list. So, anyways, Riri lands at the site of a bombing. S.H.I.E.L.D.'s already there, including Nick Fury Jr. And indoors, you've got the, Hi, I don't care if you're doing a secret empire and this person's in jail and America's been taken over by HYDRA. (laughs) But Sharon Carter, who's the head of S.H.I.E.L.D., she's sitting there in the middle of this room that had just been bombed out. And they're having a bit of a conversation. Because Riri basically just landed at the site of a terrorist action. Just like, Hey, guys, what's up? And everybody else is like, Drop your fucking gun! (laughs) which is what would happen so she's she's walking in there like i'm sorry i'm new to the job you still gotta understand this shit sometimes i think riri just doesn't get it like she gets so much but then some other things just not quite so much there
0: human interactions are not her strong point
1: but then it does another flashback where she calls up nas and she's like hey what are your age restrictions oh well uh, how old are you and like i'm 11 okay well you'll you'll notice that there's also academic requirements "Uh uh-huh well you've got to meet those yeah i know i'm calling you from my dorm room and like what (laughs) and then flashback (laughs) forward again i think this is all stuff that might be going through Riri's head is she's just trying to adjust to everybody not fucking trusting her it's right. neat to see because you didn't really ever see that back in the day with the superheroes because it's just in the 60s and all that and all the way up until kind of semi-recent times a superhero shows up and everybody's just like "Ooh, a superhero they're here to save us and now they're like "Ooh, somebody who can make a fucking suit of armor that can blast people through walls fuck <laughs> Another thing for me to have to yeah. figure out what's going on. And then you feed up with apparently fucking Lady Octopus.
0: <laughs> oh, I love where Riri's like, I have enough self-confidence. I don't need to qualify myself for <laughs> no. <with the> lady.
1: <laughs> it would have been cool if it was just like LDY because they ran out of characters for their screen name. <laughs> Like XX Lady Octopus XX. But it sounds like a fucking AOL screen name. (laughs) They have a little bit of a duking out, which is just mostly pointless. There's a little bit of hustle. Riri gets knocked down. But then she just, why didn't I think of this? And just electrocutes fucking Lady Octopus. And just blasts the fuck out of him. And apparently they've re-figured out what a 616 is. Because Nick at the end calls in a 616, which is apparently a metahuman attack at a bombing location. Or I guess it's just a metahuman attack is a 616.
0: I did like that
1: that they're at least paying some homage. I really hope it doesn't mean because it kind of goes against the end of Secret War. Because at the end of Secret War, they were remaking the multiverse, but they seem to want to ignore the rest of the multiverse again. That was a mistake that DC took 20 years to fix, and I don't think Marvel needs to make that mistake. <laughs> that tussle is figured out, and we flash forward again to the, kind of the summation of this whole story, the backstory that started with the flashbacks with the astronaut, is Riri's friend hands her a phone, and on the other end of that phone is that astronaut that Riri was idolizing at the beginning and then we end up in letvaria because why not lady <laughs> Bombardis apparently has taken over letvaria and has militarized everybody and reary just shows up that was kind of what shield was trying to get her to do but shield's like i can't send any of my people in but you're a crazy superhero so if you were to find yourself in letvaria who am i to say anything <laughs> so reary takes the bait against tony's wishes apparently we're gonna see this lady Bartus and reary fighting it out next issue
0: i enjoyed it i thought reary has they call Call her Ironheart and I really do feel like this character has so much heart and humanity to her I really enjoy watching her I think she's one of those rare characters that has the mantle of Iron Man but really is not like Iron Man Jr. she's very different from Iron Man yep. I think she's a wonderful addition she's a
1: character wearing the suit not the suit wearing the character it,
0: yes I agree
1: and for a, a long time superheroes even Marvel DC whatever they're the costume wearing the person but really was creative kind of the ground up being the person wearing the costume
0: I think that's a really good way to explain her. It's
1: done really well and Brian Michael Bendis writes this very well. I think he's doing a good job. I like it.
0: I agree. Would you end up rating this one? Well,
1: higher than weapons of mutant destruction. <laughs> I know I give three and a half a lot, but three and a half is actually a good score. I'm ridiculously yeah. picky. So three and a half is a good score for me, and I'm gonna give it three and a half cell phones with your hero on the other end.
0: I enjoyed this very much. I will give this four May Jemison. That's the actual name of the first female African American astronaut. So I think she deserves a little shout out here. They never actually say her name in the
1: comment. Oh they didn't? Okay
0: nope I don't know if that's intended to make you go look it up or what but that's what it did to me so So
1: I didn't even know if it was like a Marvel Universe character or if it was a real person so
0: those were the books we read this week you can find all kinds of nerd shenanigans including our other podcast Cut the Cord at fourcolornerds.com or on our Facebook page you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram you can find the podcast on iTunes and Google Play Music on Stitcher on SoundCloud and on Podcast Addict be sure to rate review and subscribe be sure to come back next week for another episode until then Keep reading, nerds.